If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and um, take them out and turn with me to John chapter 21. Gosh, I'll probably say that for a couple of weeks um, after we're finished with John. I'll be like, take your Bibles out and turn with me to J- uh, No, maybe not. So, uh, golly. But we have uh, this Sunday and then um, two more Sundays in the Lord willing in the Gospel of John. And then we will have done it together. We've endured the Gospel of John, studied it, learned from it been enriched, discipled, sanctified by it. John chapter 21, we'll look at the the first 14 verses. John records for us, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish And they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land and saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word that your word has, it is both spirit and it is life. May we feed and may we feast upon it just as these disciples fed and feasted upon the fish and the bread that you prepared and you laid out for them. Would you lay out your, your word for us to feast upon it, Lord? May hungry souls find our satisfaction by your words and by your truths. And Lord, would you, like, you did for, like you're doing for these men, Would you call us to know you and to live on mission for you? Lord, may we be be present with you in this moment. It's your name we pray, amen. Um, Thank you, you could be seated. Well, you uh, may have already figured it out, but we've turned the heat on for the the remainder of the summer. So sometimes it's cool in here in the uh, 
winter, but um, sometimes in the summer, it is not cool in here. It's rather hot. And so you guys are deputized to open windows. Just know that. Um, some, most of the windows, I believe, open. And so if you want to open a window, you're not going to distract me. I was a youth pastor for uh, 10 years, and so I'm used to distractions. And also, we preached in a factory for several years for... Uh, and I'm used to uh, I'm used to distractions in there. Uh, there we had concrete floors, and occasionally folks would spill carpet. I mean, would spill their coffee. We didn't have carpet to sop it up, so folks would go get a mop. And so I had preached before, and folks have been mopping coffee up at the same time. And so uh, even though I have ADD, I can focus in. Um, John chapter one. The theme for John chapter one is this. If you want to write that down, maybe you want to write it in your Bible. It's this. It's restoration. That's the theme for John chapter one. It is Jesus's restoration to his failed disciples. Jesus is restoring them on two different fronts. He's restoring them to the mission that he's called them to participate in. He's restoring them to the mission of Jesus and they are being restored to the fellowship with Jesus. So on two fronts, he's restoring them to his mission that he's called them to serve on his behalf in, and he's restoring them to fellowship with him. The disciples have failed Jesus. That whenever Jesus was arrested, they scurried off. When Jesus was tried, when Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was crucified, they hid for fear. And so they have failed Jesus. They've abandoned Jesus. And now what Jesus wants for them is he wants them to be confident of where they stand with him so that they can live for him. The John chapter 21 is an important uh, link between uh, Jesus's resurrection and Pentecost. Jesus's Easter, if you will, and 40 days later, the coming of the Holy Spirit that will happen on the day of Pentecost. That this is an important link here. The, the book of Acts opens up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two and what you see happening in the book of Acts. In fact, it's Acts of the Apostles. It's these men who are now living for Jesus, living on mission for Jesus. They're going and they're proclaiming and they're telling and they're sharing and they're teaching the gospel. They're establishing the church and they're taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. The same men who in the last portions of the gospel, they, uh, they, they were hiding in fear of the Jews and now they've been filled by the Holy Spirit and empowered to go and to share his mission. And so you look at the contrast between these men cowering and hiding, and then you look at Acts chapter two and you go, well, what occurred? Well, here's what occurred. First of all, they seen the risen Christ and he has changed them, forever changed them, but more than just seeing Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if he just saw Jesus? Oh, there's Jesus, but they may not be confident about where they stand with Jesus. And so Jesus graciously, Jesus lovingly, as Jesus reveals himself to them, as Jesus just shows up in the midst of the room, but also what Jesus does with his words and with his action is Jesus restores them to right fellowship with himself and then he restores them to the mission. That in order to take a confident stand for Christ or a confident stand for Christ is directly related to the knowledge of a confident stand with Christ or in Christ. You gotta know where you stand with Christ and that you stand in Christ in order for you to make a confident stand for Christ. And that's what happens in Acts. They make a confident stand in Christ, a declaration and proclamation of the gospel in the midst of persecution. 
And how can they do that? Well, they know where they stand with Christ and they stand in Christ. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is restoring a right, them back into a right relationship with him. He's reminding them that their faith isn't, the, the, isn't about the strength of their faith, but rather the strength of his grip that he has on them and the calling in their life. Let's look at the text together. We'll just start back in the very beginnings. If you put away your Bible, go ahead and you can take them out uh, again and we'll just kind of walk through the text for the next few minutes. First of all, I want us to see in this text is this, is when you don't know what to do, you will go back to what is familiar. That when you're unsure of what you're supposed to do, unsure of your purpose, what you will do is you will go back to what is familiar. And that's what we see the disciples. The disciples have left Jerusalem. They're now in the region of Galilee per Jesus's command. That's in Matthew 28. Jesus says, hey, go to a mountaintop in Galilee and wait for me there. Now, we don't know how long they've waited. We know that it's at least within the span of, you know, they could have waited 31 days for all we know. They've waited some period of time. Eight days was the last time they've seen Jesus. And now they've waited in the region of Galilee. They're waiting um, for him there. And while we're waiting, this is what John says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. It's the same, it's the same body of water. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. It's called the Sea of Tiberias here because uh, that's the, the Roman name for it, that whenever the Romans now occupy uh, this area, they name it after Caesar Tiberius. And so they call it uh, Tiberius. It's called, uh, we're gonna see even in the Gospel of Luke, it's called uh, the Lake of uh, Gennesaret. It's all the same body of water. So they're at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus reveals himself in this way. Verse number two, Simon Peter. So he's gonna list off who all's there. Simon Peter and Thomas, who's called the twin, that's Doubting Thomas. And so there was a time when Doubting Thomas wasn't with the other 10 disciples and Jesus showed up and Thomas missed out. And then Thomas is the one, I, you know, I've got to be able to see in order to believe. And then Jesus shows up again, but now Thomas has made his way to the top of the list. It's almost as if Thomas is saying, hey, I'm hanging with you boys. I'm not going to miss out on anything else. And so now Thomas is here, um, Nathaniel of Canaan, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. So that's James and the author, John. And there's two other disciples who are unnamed. They're all together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, then we're gonna go with you. If you're going fishing, we're going too. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now listen, when you or I may say we're going fishing, we imply that we're gonna do something recreational, right? But when Simon Peter and my dad, who's here today, when Simon Peter and my dad say, let's go fishing, they're not implying something recreational, rather they're implying something that is going to be work. And that's what Simon Peter means here. When Simon Peter says, hey, let's go fishing, he's not thinking about what you and I may think of, minus my dad, about fishing. Like when we think about fishing, um, and those of you in the room that uh, fish on occasion, some of our most avid fishermen, I don't see them in the room today, but when you and I think of fishing, we think about floating in a boat. We think about how relaxing the rocking of the water is and being calm on the water and you cast out a line or maybe you work the bank a little bit with a little lure. You, maybe you sink on the bottom and you wait on a gentle tug. I mean, isn't that fun and relaxing to do? And that's what we think of for, 
for fishing. It seems relaxing. It sounds relaxing. But when Simon Peter says, let's go fishing, Peter's not thinking about something relaxing. Rather, Peter's talking about work. That Simon Peter, before he met Jesus, Simon Peter was a commercial fisherman. It's what he did for a living. And that's what he's, we see him going back to. He's going back to fishing. And some of you may be sitting here and you may say, hey, that sounds like a fun gig, right? That sounds like a fun vocation. Fishing for a living, doesn't that sound fun? And the reason why you would say that is because you've never cleaned 153 fish, right? I have, because again, my dad thinks of himself as a commercial fisherman. I've never cleaned, I don't think, 153 fish, but I know one time we caught 111 fish. And the next morning, in the wee hours of the morning, we cleaned 111 fish. And they've got a word for that, and the word is misery. That's what cleaning 111 fish is like, especially catfish out of a lake. That I can understand this text, and I can understand Peter, because like Peter, I have fished with a net. And I have fished with uh, large wooden baskets. I have fished with drag lines. I have fished with trot lines. I have fished with limb lines. I have fished with jugs. And when I say jugs, I mean like 200 jugs, like milk jugs that we dumped out into the water. I fished with 100 bamboo cane poles one night. That's right, bamboo cane poles that we cut, we stripped, we tied lines to, and then fished with them throughout the night. I have fished with fishing poles, and I may or may not have fished with small explosives. And we will just leave that right there. And when Peter says, I'm going fishing, my dad's like, don't tell all our secrets. How else you catch 111 fish? But anyway, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, and later on we see him, it says, John writes that he was stripped for work. Probably doesn't imply that he was naked, but rather he stripped off down to his loincloth. He rolled up his sleeves, we might say. He was stripped for work. And now what Peter has done is Peter has gone back to fishing for a living. Now, I don't think Peter's doing this in rebellion to Jesus or rebellion to the command of Jesus. I don't think this is apostasy. I don't think any of those things. Maybe it was a necessity. I mean, the men have to eat and maybe they're hungry and they gotta go eat. They gotta provide and have some food. So maybe it's that, but I think really what it shows here is it shows a lack of purpose. And when you don't know what you're supposed to do, you'll fall back on what's familiar to do. And that's what Peter's doing. He doesn't know the direction his life is supposed to take in this moment. Everything must feel unfamiliar to Peter. I mean, think about it. He was called from this vocation of fishing, called to follow Jesus. He's followed Jesus for three years. And now Jesus has been crucified. He's been put into a tomb. And now he's been resurrected. And one minute he's here and the next minute he's not. Like Peter doesn't know anything to do. And so what he does is Peter falls back on what is familiar and he's a fisherman. But notice how as they fish, they are not successful in fishing. They fish, but they are not successful. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Have you ever been there? <laughs> those again, those of you that fish, have you ever been there? Have you ever fished all night and caught nothing? Verse number four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, all of that. Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him and they said, no. The only thing worse than fishing all night and not catching any fish is answering the question the next morning when folks ask you, have you caught any fish? And you got to say, no, I have not caught any fish. And again, I know what this feels like. 
I've been fishing all night and not caught a single fish. I went fishing one time with a friend of mine uh, to land between the lakes and we anticipated crappie fishing. We prepared to go crappie fishing. We talked about it for months. We drove six hours to fish. We fished for two days and we caught a, we did not catch a single crappie. It was like somebody like, caught all the crappie and took them away from us. And the worst part about that was everybody in the church knew we were going. Our wives knew that we were going. It was coming home and facing the music to say like, did you catch any fish? No, we didn't catch any fish. In fact, we were tempted to buy a few pounds of catfish on the way home from Kroger and tell our yes, this is all we caught. Here you go. It tastes like catfish. Well, that's all that was biting. I don't know what to tell you, right? My wife was like, you spent all that money going and all that time. You didn't catch a single fish. I'm like, hey, it don't work that way. You don't catch fish just because you want to catch fish. It's kind of up to the fish whether they're hungry or not. And that's kind of what's happened here. Adding insult to injury, Jesus asked them the question, did you catch any fish? Children, he even says. He's like speaking down to them in a way. Lads, boys, have you caught any fish? Sounds like my dad, boys, boys, did you catch any fish? No, they said to them. And then Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is what I want you to notice from this text is that Jesus is Lord over both a lack of success and their success that their lack of success doesn't indicate that Jesus wasn't Lord over that. Their lack of success doesn't mean that they were unlucky fishermen or they didn't know how to fish, but their lack of success is Jesus sovereignly withholding success from them and then later giving success to them. Now, why on earth would Jesus do that? Because what Jesus wants to illustrate to them is the thing that Jesus said to them in the upper room just a probably a little over a week ago, maybe a, maybe a little longer, but a little over a week ago, as they met in the upper room and Jesus talked to them, one of the things that Jesus told them is Jesus said, I think it's in John 15, three, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus had told them. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And now what we have is them doing things apart from Jesus and experiencing nothing in return. That Jesus is lovingly, allowing them to go to a place of self-dependent failure and frustration so that he can prove to them their need and dependence on him. I love that he asked them the question, have you caught any fish? Now, when Jesus asks a question, Jesus doesn't ask a question like we ask a question. Like you and I, we generally ask a question because we don't know the answer, but that's different than Jesus. Jesus already knows everything. Jesus is all-knowing, all omniscient. And so when Jesus asked them the question, Jesus isn't looking for an answer. He's not trying to gain knowledge when he asks, but what Jesus is doing to them is Jesus is, is underscoring. He's highlighting their self-dependent failure. That's what he wants for them. He wants them to confess it, to admit it. Have you guys caught any fish? No. Okay, now here's what I want you to do on the other side of the boat. Now we're not talking about a huge trolling vessel here. We're talking about a few feet of difference. Now what I want you to do is I want you to do it my way. I'm gonna show something to you. I wanna prove something to you. Now cast down your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. And so they do it, they're obedient. They cast down their boat and then they're unable to haul it in. 
because of the quantity of fish. Sounds like fun, right? This is an object lesson for them. Here is the object lesson. It's to contrast their inability and Jesus's ability. It's to contrast their inability so that they can see Jesus's in the, so they can see Jesus's ability so that they can depend upon him. Now listen. This event has nothing to do with fishing. Surely you've picked up on that by now. That this event has nothing to do with fishing, but it has everything to do with calling and with mission. But Jesus is reminding these men in this moment that I have called you out from the world. I've called you out of your jobs. I've called you out of life. I've called you out and I've called you to something. I've called you out of the world and I've called you to myself and to my mission. And in fact, this very event echoes an already event that has occurred in the life of Simon Peter. Do you remember the first time that Jesus met Simon Peter? What was Simon Peter doing? He was fishing. That's right. Actually, he was washing his nets because he had just returned from fishing. In fact, if you would like, turn over with me to Luke, the fifth chapter. It'll be up on the screen, but if you want to see it in your, in your hands, in your Bible, that's fine as well. But in Luke chapter five, Notice what it says, and we're going to read in another 11 verses. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, the hymn is Jesus. There's a huge crowd coming around, pressing in on Jesus to, in order that they may hear the word of God. And Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, the same body of water. And Jesus saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats. So Jesus is hijacking a boat here, getting into one of, it's already his, it, everything belongs to him. That's, that's what the point is. Jesus gets into the boat and um, he, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And so his voice would carry over the water. That's why Jesus is doing this, and he's being pressed because the crowd is getting so long. He taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But look, and Simon answered, master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. We took nothing. We fished all night and we haven't had caught a single fish, but at your word, obedience to your command. At your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed after Jesus. It's the same lake 
it's probably the same boat. It's the same situation. They fished all night and haven't caught a single stinking fish. It's the same command, cast down your net. It's the same outcome, a large catch of fish, nets breaking, 153 fish the second time, and it's the same Savior who is risen this time. That the purpose of all of this was in order for Jesus to remind Peter of the call. What Jesus is saying to him is, do you remember on this very bank, the day that you left everything to follow after me? That's what I've called. What what Matthew and Mark say is, Jesus says unto Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what Peter and what Jesus is asking Peter here in a way is, do you remember that moment? Do you remember that event when you said, I'm leaving it all, I'm forsaking it all. And Jesus, I will follow after you. I think it's a good moment for us just to pause and reflect. Those of you here in this room, do you remember where you were, when it was when you first realized that following Jesus and fishing after people was the most important thing on this earth? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember like a a light switch that had been flipped on in your mind where you thought following after Jesus, knowing Jesus, being saved by Jesus and making him known to others is the most important thing that I can possibly do, goodness, I do. I was about 15 years old. It was in a small church building in Peaks Mill, just a few miles that way is where I was. At an altar, I went forward during a hymn of invitation and I bowed my knee and I prayed to Jesus to save me. And it was in that moment that I realized that Jesus was worth my all, that making Jesus known and knowing Jesus was the most important thing. And honestly, I I, kind of went back home and I fell back into the same pattern. Like again, when you don't know what your purpose is, you don't know what you're supposed to do, you'll fall back into what's familiar. And I hadn't been discipled yet. And I fell back into what was familiar. And then after a couple of months, I remember I was in the basement. Uh, That's where we, my room and my brother's room was in the basement of our home, still in Walton, Kentucky. It was on a night, just like any other night, I'd been reading my Bible and I don't know, the the Lord just did something incredible in my life. Maybe that was the night I was saved. I don't know. But it was on that night that I knelt down again um, at a a foot locker that was at the, the foot of my bed. I knelt there and I just, again, I just cried out to Jesus and just said, Jesus, I just want to know you and make you known. My life took a completely different trajectory that night. And what about you? Where were you? Where were you when that took place? Maybe in your mind's eye, maybe in your imagination, maybe you can go back to that moment and you can think about that, the moment you were saved. I think that's one of the importance of baptism. Baptism isn't what saves us, but baptism is so, it's so important because it takes you back to a moment. There was a moment in my, in my marriage when Luann and I had a ceremony. We spoke covenant to one another. We said, I repeated after my grandfather was the one who, uh, who, who performed our marriage. And I repeated after my grandfather. And I said, forsaking all others, I cling to you and to you alone. Edith Luann Burchett. My life took a completely different trajectory and we go back, we celebrate that. That's an anniversary and we go out to eat and sometimes we get old letters out and we look at old pictures and we remember now like 24 years ago when we, 
in a church building just a few miles north from here where we stood at an altar and we made covenant before God. And we spoke that and that's what baptism does. It plants a flag, it plants a stake. It allows you to say where you saved before God and before man and before every demon in hell that I'm, I'm banking it all on the resurrected Christ. It's him that I want to know. It's him that I want to follow and I want to make him known. Do you remember, do you remember that moment in your life? Maybe you've never had it and you can have it today. Oh, Jesus, would you, even this morning as we preach, for those who have yet to commit their lives to you, would you, would you save them today? Would you do as you've done for so many of us here? Would you flip the light on? Would you allow them to pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life by your sovereign power? Are you following after Jesus and living obediently to him? I think that's what it begs the question. The same thing that, Jesus says to Simon Peter and to James and to John and the other disciples, he says to us as his disciples is to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And are you following after Jesus? Are you living obediently to Jesus? It's a good word for those of us that have some years on our faith, isn't it? It's a good reminder. It's just like being out on that boat, man. We're prone to drift, are we not? We're prone to drift into what's familiar. We're prone to just drift around the, the water and not really get after it with any level of urgency or tenacity, right? Not being intentional in the way that we live. And moments like these and texts like these are so good for us because they take us back and they allow us to remember where we were and then think about the trajectory of our lives in the direction that we're heading in. Are you following after Jesus still? Are you living obediently to Jesus? Are the things in your life that you've gotten accustomed to, but you know that they are, they grieve the Holy Spirit. And they're contrary to Jesus' command. And the second question is, are you fishing for people? Are you living your life in a way that leads and lures people into fellowship with Jesus? intentionally. A couple of times uh, in the week, Pastor Derek and I have opportunity to go over to the um, food pantry that's here in town. Now the food pantry is at an undisclosed location, but some of you will kind of figure out the general area. But just the way that we work, people call here and they put in an application for a food box. And then Pastor Derek or I, or sometimes both of us will drive over, we pick up the food, we come back. Folks come here, they pick up the food. It's an opportunity for us to meet them, sometimes share the gospel, almost always invite them back to church. Sometimes we'll take them through and say, hey, let me show you where you'll come in the door and all those things. So this place would be familiar when you show up. And so that's kind of our pattern that we do. And when we go to pick up the food, it's in that general location is where the Point Community Church first actually began. At the Point Community Church, as we embark upon 14 years, we actually began with a meeting that convened in the, uh, the fellowship of the police building that they rented in the basement of that. I wasn't there. Some of you were there. But there was a meeting that happened where a vision was cast for a church. And now 14 years later, here we are. A mission. We started the Point Community Church with a mission in mind. 
And the mission was to serve those who had yet to know Jesus and those who had experienced and gotten banged up from religion. It was to deal with the real Jesus and the true Jesus and get back to the scriptures. It was to engage the community with the love of Jesus. I think this is a good moment for us just to reflect on is are we living with the same tenacity that we were 14 years ago? Or have we become relaxed in it? Verse number seven. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter. So this is probably the author of the book, John. We've seen this number of times that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And now he, John says to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. I couldn't help as I worked through this to think about uh, the movie Forrest Gump. It's one of my favorite movies, but there's a moment on the movie, if you haven't seen it, uh, you, you should watch it today even, but there's a moment when Forrest is on the shrimp boat and For- Forrest sees Captain Dan for the first time in many years. And he's like, Captain Dan. And he does that wave and then he just jumps into the water. That's kind of I th- what I picture here that Simon Peter did. John goes, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter looks, it's Jesus. And then he just does a wave and just, grabs his jacket. I don't, he's probably done even thinking. I mean, you could swim easier probably in, a, in his underwear than he could in a jacket. But never, he grabs his jacket, he jumps into the water and he swims out to see Jesus. He begins swimming and he probably takes off waiting. Verse number eight, the other disciples came into the boat. They're dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, but only about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of the large fish, 153 of them. So he's dragging this. That's why 153 fish? Um, Here's why, because that's how many they caught. right? Like, I, in fact, don't Google it, but you can Google it. Google why, don't do it now, right? We'll collect phones, but Google why did the disciples catch 153 fish in the book of John? And you'll see all kinds of crazy answers. Some people would say, because there was 153 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. And that's in the same way that Jesus is saving some from every tribe, nation, and tongue. I think it's 153 because it's 153. And here we just have another insight into what fishermen do, right? We count fish. So it was probably actually 100 fish, but you know what I'm saying? Now it's 153 fish. It's another one of those just details. Sometimes the Bible gets banged up as if like even the gospel of John and even this portion of the gospel of John, people say, well, it wasn't written in the same time frame. It was written 100 years later. That's whenever they wrote the story. Well, if it's written 100, 100 years later, why would they say 153 fish? Why wouldn't they just say it was, he caught a lot of fish or he caught some fish or he caught something, but not the details that are implied here. Why is it so detail oriented that it would say it's 153 fish because it was 153 fish and John is writing this and he remembers because John is there. It's a eyewitness account and that's why you've got the details. It's not a story. It's not a fabrication. 
John's saying, I'm telling you in detail what happened here. And we caught 153 fish, just so you know. It was an incredible night of fishing. The text says, and although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. And Jesus came and Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised for the dead. The last thing I want us to notice is this, that Jesus invites even those who have failed him into fellowship with him. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the assembled disciples together. There's an assembly of disciples here. This is about the fifth or sixth time that Jesus has appeared to a subset of disciples. Luke had recorded for us that Jesus, that two disciples are on their way to the city of, or the village of Emmaus and Jesus shows up. He travels with them. They go into a home and guess what Jesus does when he gets into that home? Jesus shares a meal with these men. And then Jesus reveals himself and he teaches them and then Jesus disappears and Jesus shows up again. This time he shows up in the city of Jerusalem. The doors are shut and locked and Jesus shows up. And when Jesus appears to those 10 of the disciples, guess what Jesus does? Hey, do you have anything to eat? And they give Jesus a piece of fish and Jesus eats it with them. And now here we are sometime later on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus this time is the one who has prepared breakfast for his disciples. John MacArthur says this, you know how Jesus, you know how Jesus fixes breakfast? He fixes breakfast like this, breakfast. And breakfast shows up. That'd be pretty cool. That's corny as I'll get out, but that's funny. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And what's the significance of this? What's the significance of now three times Jesus has ate a meal with these men together? The significance of this is fellowship. The sharing a meal in Jesus's culture was a sign of a close personal friendship. The sharing a meal together, preparing a meal, inviting someone into your home and eating, breaking bread with them, that was a sign. It was an invitation of fellowship, of friendship with these people. That's why it's so shocking for Jesus whenever Jesus is, is in his earthly ministry for Jesus to eat with sinners. He eats with tax collectors and he eats with prostitutes. It wasn't just the fact that he's eating with these people. What Jesus is saying by eating a meal with them is, I want friendship with you. I want fellowship with you. And so now we can add to the list, Jesus eats with sinners. He eats with tax collectors and he eats with prostitutes and he eats with failed disciples. And what is he saying in all of that? Well, Jesus is saying this, that I want fellowship with you. I want friendship with you. I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you to know me. That is what he is saying. Jesus is reiterating that. He's restoring them. And more on that last week. I mean, more on this next week. But what Jesus is saying here is I still want a relationship with you. And that is so important to us. Because maybe just possibly you think that God's love is for others, but it's not for you. That maybe Jesus can love everyone else, but not me. Maybe you think that you've sinned too greatly or you failed too miserably. Maybe you think you've ignored him for too long, but the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus comes, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, that Jesus comes and Jesus initiates and Jesus invites sinners like me and you into fellowship with him unless you're too proud. Jesus opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
This is a picture of that. Again, that Jesus gives grace to the humble, those who will come, those who will eat with him. And in fact, you and I, we're about to share another meal together as Jesus's brothers and sisters, as the children of God. We're about to celebrate his supper. It's bread and juice, no fish, unfortunately, but it's bread and juice. Aren't you glad for that? Pastor Frank, it'd be tremendous work if we had to broil fish every week, but nevertheless, it's bread and it's juice. And this is what Jesus says about that. In Matthew 26, 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let me read that again. Take this, eat this, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying this, drink all of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for, unto, for the forgiveness of sin. And I tell you, I will, not eat, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is a picture of restoration, a restored fellowship. And even today, Jesus is inviting us with a meal to come and to believe in him and to know him, share intimate fellowship with him. John Newton said this, two things that I know. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. And that is what the cross is all about. Forgiveness to sinners like me and you. Listen, do not flatter yourself to think that your sin is too great for his grace. You cannot plumb the depths of God's grace. Do not weaken the cross by thinking that somehow you are exempt from its power. Your sin is no match for the cross of Christ. He gives grace to the humble. The Jesus making breakfast for these disciples is a reminder that Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's the truth of the gospel. Jesus shows up. Jesus initiates, Jesus invites, Jesus pursues. Salvation does not come through human effort, not through us being good enough, not through us qualifying ourselves, but salvation comes through Jesus offering and initiating, commanding us to take and to eat it. Do you know Christ? And do you live to make Christ known? Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to a moment where we celebrate a meal, that even though you physically have not prepared this meal for us, you've commanded it, we, we, we take of it, partake of it, even in this moment because of what you've done, because it, you've given it to the church. And Jesus, as we enter into it, it's a reminder of your desire for fellowship with us it's a reminder of your great heart for us. And so Lord, in this moment, as we think about whether or not we're following you and making fishers of men, whether or not we're living in community with you and with your church and living to make you known, I pray that you would just, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would just be present with you long enough that we could sense what your spirit may have for us. Believe in your power that you can call out sin even in this moment. 
Lord, this may be the moment for some in this room, like the moment that I shared when I was 15 years old and the moment that many of us shared, a moment where we, where we prayed and we confessed our sin to you and we confessed our belief in you, Lord. And you, by your sovereign power, you'd saved us. We promise to live for you. We promise to follow after you. We promise to make you known, Lord. All of the priorities of life, may they pale in comparison right now to the supremacy of you and the supremacy of your calling, our purpose for our life. Our purpose is this, to know you and to make you known. And I pray that's what would occur by your sovereign power in this moment. In your name we pray, amen.